I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. With Boyd Matheson. Well, as we continue to look at things in the Middle East, uh, we are very pleased, as always, to be joined by Amos Giora, a law professor at the University of Utah, who literally just landed in Israel and, of course, put us on the priority list to uh, speak with about something that's very fascinating, a historic agreement uh, possibility with Israel and Lebanon on maritime borders. Uh, Amos, thanks for joining us uh, right off the plane. Right off the plane and right off of dinner. <laughs> uh, well, give us a, a little bit of sense, uh, just a little backstory, I guess, first, in terms of uh, what is at stake here, what have the uh, snags been, uh, and what does this agreement potentially do? So I've worked my way backwards. I think the importance of this agreement between Israel and Lebanon is that it strengthens the government of Lebanon, and that's a direct and is an indirect it weakens the terrorist organization Hezbollah, and as an indirect to the indirect, it also potentially weakens Iran's influence in the region. Mm. And that's why I think that the, from a broader geopolitical perspective, this needs to be viewed as a win-win. That's one. Two, whatever natural gas is um, discovered, uncovered, and brought out from this you know, the 200 economic miles, not only is it good for the econ- the local economies, plural economies here, the Israelis and the Lebanese, but maybe thinking strategically down the road, it has the potential, maybe if we think geopolitically, strategically, to make an impact dent on, on the Russian stranglehold on European mm. gas needs. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that uh, the role of the United States and the Biden administration during the negotiations between Israel and Lebanon, I think that's why the Biden administration was so actively engaged, because not only good for the Middle East, I mean, good for the economies of the Middle East, but maybe they, too, are also thinking Europe, Russia. And if that, if, if it impacts that, I think we all win. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I, I love that you've brought up these nuanced pieces that we often miss in these kinds of things. We always think, of course, you know, Israel and Lebanon, they're having a, they're having an issue. Something's got to be negotiated uh, but the fact that this weakens Iran's influence in the in the region, that it could potentially serve as a way to stave off some of that over-dependence on Russian gas and oil. Talk to us uh, just for a minute about the Biden administration really leaning into this uh, as a, an important part of foreign policy. Again, not one that's in the headlines a lot, but one that I think is, is incredibly significant. I think we have to view Biden, Europe, Russia, Ukraine headlines through two different lenses. One is the immediate. I mean, the terrible, terrible war crimes being committed by Russia, to which there has to be some kind of a response, verbal or otherwise. But the more strategic, long-term 
question is, how do you weaken Europe's dependence on Russia? I mean, the Europeans are in a bind. And if this can play a role in that, not this coming winter. I mean, I remind all of us, Europe in the winter is cold. Yeah. I don't think this will impact where we're already in October. So I don't think this will have an immediate impact. But if you're thinking strategically, if I were the Biden administration, I too would have, have been actively involved in this with the understanding that there's no immediate gain other than maybe a little bit of a sense of normalization between Israel and Lebanon and the weakening of Iran, you know, Hezbollah, as I said earlier. But the European thing is a more long-term strategic approach to this, which is also, I would think, from a European perspective, would be very welcomed with the understanding there's no quick fix to the dependence on Russia. And there's no quick fix to the, the threat the Russians pose. Right. Right. Uh, and, and let's get to, for a second, let's talk about Lebanon for a minute, uh, just in terms of what this does, uh, their economy, uh, some saying, you know, collapse, verge of collapse. Uh, what does this mean? And, and what will, how will that change the kind of the trajectory uh, of things there uh, in the Middle East? Well, Lebanon is always, um, quote unquote, as you correctly say, on the verge of collapse. Hezbollah is always on the verge of this, and Iran's always on the verge of that. There's no doubt that if you view the Middle East, whether narrowly defined or broadly defined, you know, when you and I were kids, uh, the Middle East was uh, Israel, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, right? Today, it's much broader than that. Yeah. But whether it's the narrow, narrowly defined Middle East or the broadly defined Middle East, Lebanon's always been considered the, the quote-unquote weak sister in this entire conversation. Um, Israel's invaded Lebanon. Syria's invaded Lebanon. It doesn't really have... Uh, an army that really protects the, the people of Lebanon. So I would think that from their perspective, something that, first of all, can be an economic boost, also a, a negative from Hezbollah's perspective, a negative on Hezbollah is a win-win for the Lebanese government, which is, I'm sure, the reason that they were willing to entertain and entertain negotiating and then actually engaging in negotiations because they view this as a win-win both financially and politically. The Lebanese don't have an army that, that as you and I understand, really an army. They don't have a navy to speak of. So this is, I think, from their perspective, and the fact that the Israeli Navy will be the one protecting these 200 economic miles, I think, from their perspective, that's a win-win. I need to add that here in Israel, you know, the, the usual response is, because we have elections on November 1st, and Netanyahu, of course, is blasting this for all the usual reasons. But if you take a step back and you think about something that may benefit Israel politically and, and economically and militarily, win-win-win. As we say in Yiddish, you know, Zaygazunt, we translate it, can't be better than that. <laughs> well, thank that. That's a that's a that's a good way to look at that. Uh, I want to ask you just real quickly before I let you go, shift the topics just a little bit. On the uh, last time we had you on the program, we were talking about the uh, the uprising and some of the protests uh, around uh, that the women were really leading. Uh, now that this is going into uh, past four weeks now, uh, what is what is the sense there? Is this something that has traction? How how are you seeing and sensing that? I think the fact that the Iranian government has reacted the way it has tells you how much of an impact it has. Mm. Um, you know, when governments respond or over-respond, react, over-react, it's because they are, their perception is that they are, I don't know, threatened, undermined. I don't know if they're at risk, but they clearly are concerned. Um, and I said, you know, when you and I last spoke, if you want to see bravery and courage, look at the Iranian women. I mean, it's remarkable. Yeah. And they know the price they're going to pay. I'm full of admiration for them. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to continue to follow that as well. Amos Giora, a law professor at the University of Utah, is uh, it's just landed in Israel. Uh, thank you so much for carving out a little time uh, after dinner uh, to give us some insight on what's happening. It is a historic agreement with uh, Israel and Lebanon. 
on some of those uh, gas uh, leases, that maritime border, uh, really significant. And we'll continue to watch that. And uh, you travel safe, and we will talk to you very soon. Thank you, my friend. Bye-bye. And that's our conversation uh, with Amos Gioras from the University of Utah. And, uh, again, he had just literally landed in Israel uh, and uh, was gracious to to give us some of his time there. And I think this is one of those uh, things that has been flying under the radar uh, in terms of most of the coverage that's been going on around the country. I do think this is important. And I I think one of the things that Amos said that really struck me was that even even if there is great uh, natural gas being able to be used now because of this agreement or pulled out, uh, the impact of it on Europe is really important. If it makes Europe less dependent on Russian natural gas, that's a good thing. Uh, he also was very quick to point out, look, this is not going to help for this winter. Uh, winter is is here, and uh, it is it is not going to be turned fast enough. But maybe next winter there will be a lessening of that dependence on Russia. So maybe that has a a, a dynamic to be played there. So I think it's important to keep these things in Perspective also in terms of uh, of Lebanon, uh, and as we talked about, kind of that collapsing of their economy, it might bolster that just a little bit and, and create some space uh, for some of those other conversations uh, to be had. And I think that's all part of it. And then, of course, we rounded that out uh, talking about the, the women uh, who continue to rise up, to continue to show extraordinary courage and bravery, knowing the consequences, as Amos put it, uh, understanding what they will face. Uh, and yet still standing. Uh, I think that's an extraordinary thing. And I think we're going to continue to see those women and other women around the world. Uh, I think the uh, First Lady of Ukraine said that the victory for freedom uh, in the years ahead is going to have a very feminine face. I think that's absolutely right. We'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we'll talk about the Dignity Index. Some scores coming out from last night's debate is here in the state of Utah. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio Inside Sources. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.